And today as we go into 1 John chapter 1 again, beginning in verse 5 through verse 10, we are going to be looking at a place that he's here as we look at fellowship and relationships. We look at that which can hinder fellowship and relationship, but we'll also find, we'll look at something so amazing, and that is we're going to look at the light of the one who's here this morning. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We are beginning a study into this beautiful book of 1 John that teaches many great truths that can be so readily embraced as Christians. But today we are going to enter into deeper truth and understanding regarding the fellowship that God desires that we have with him through Jesus Christ. But as John enters in verse 5, verse, the fifth verse, he says, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And John enters this, this writing beginning to speak about how great God is and how He is light. And notice what he says here. He's light, but also in him, there is no darkness whatsoever. It is, there's no darkness anywhere. And the light overcomes and dispels the darkness. The word light, a definition is phos, P-H-O-S. And it's used somewhere around 60 times in the Bible. But it speaks about the radiant brilliance of the Lord and also that which comes from God in so many ways as we look at at this this morning. In Genesis, what I'd like to do for just a moment before we go further into the next several verses is for a moment we're just going to put several verses up on the screen. We're just going to get a quick overview of light in the Bible that we can see the character of God through him being light, and in him there's no darkness at all. We'll see it from one angle, another angle, another angle, and then we're going to enter into the following text as we conclude the message this morning. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, right at the very beginning, in the beginning of creation, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And one of the important truths to remember is all light originates from God. He is the beginning. He is the essence of light in every way. 
You know, if you would look at all of the cities in the United States of America, the one that represents the most percentage of light of all cities is Yuma, Arizona. 90% of the time, Yuma is filled with light. When, the, when it's light during the day, there's no clouds. It's just bright. Now, Phoenix isn't far behind. We're at 85%. And so is Tucson. Tucson's 85%. And I would guess there's just a couple people here and maybe more than a couple people that love the light. They love the, the brilliance and the brightness of waking up to the sunshine and just experiencing God even as he comes as he shines through. But notice this verse with me. He says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. There's not 10%, there's not 15%. Or you can go all the way to Juneau, Alaska, the largest city that is considered the heaviest without light, the most dark city, and 30% of the time Juneau has light like we're, we see this morning right here in Phoenix, Arizona. But here is another verse that is just amazing in Psalm 27 and 1. And many of us know this verse by heart. The Lord is my light and my salvation. David embracing God is my light. We're going to see this a little further. And he's also my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? And here in this Psalm, one verse, it speaks about how light removes fear. When God is our light, fear is gone. When we embrace this and recognize that God is our light, there's no more dread. He clears the sin and the fear is gone. Here's another verse, Matthew 5 and 14. And I might read a couple after this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. And what the word of God, Jesus began to teach is you're the light. It is you who are the light. The essence of light coming out into a darkened world is you. You're like the city set on top of a hill. You can't be hid you are God's light. And one of the beauties of light is the darker the night, the brighter the light. The contrast just is so amazing. And every place you look, when there's darkness and light begins to overshadow and permeate, everything changes in so many ways. John chapter 1, verse 9 John, the same writer who wrote this epistle, was writing, that was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Notice John describes something here, and that is that Jesus is the true light. There may be all kinds of lights. You can, we can manufacture light. Matter of fact, a person can go and say, I have a great temperament and I'm excited and enthused, but eventually that light is going to go out. The true light is the light that's going to keep on shining. It's the light of Jesus shining in us and through us and to others. And Jesus, John is recording this true light coming into the world. And he says, it enlightens every man. And that's really big because some people would say, well, that must 
speak of universalism, that all men are saved. No, that's not what it's saying. But what he's saying is, when that light comes in this world, you're going to see it. Even like the psalmist said, the heavens even declare the glory of God. You look up, the firmament shows his handiwork. You see the stars, you see everything that God creates, and you're going to see light. And God does amazing things through light. John John 8 and 12, we're just skimming over a couple verses as we enter further into this text this morning. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And notice what Jesus is saying, I am the light. I am the light of the world. And also what he begins to say is, as you follow me, your path will be lit up. There's not going to be darkness. I will show you the way. I will lead you with light. And it is amazing. I am sure right here in this, in this building this morning, we could give testimony to many of you who, who could speak about the times when it just seems so dark for a moment, but you began to follow Jesus and that light just kept leading the way. And you knew it. You could experience that light leading and guiding in the most magnificent ways. In 2 Corinthians 4 and 6, Paul begins to introduce in his epistolary writing light not only around us and beyond us, but also light within us. And he begins to speak about how light comes inside us. It comes in and changes us inside to out. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Christ. Notice what happens. Light comes into us to shine light out that other people will see the glory of God and Jesus Christ from light that comes in and goes out of us. In some ways it's fundamental, but other ways it is really amazingly overwhelming because it is speaking about how, how, uh, what a privilege God's children have been given as we are light bearers. We carry the light of Jesus wherever we go. And as we share the light, it just keeps going in so many ways. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, Paul again writing, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. And if we back up in this, these two verses, Paul is saying, You're, you appear to, to the, this generation as lights. We don't always see it. We might walk into Fry's grocery store and we don't recognize, we're like a light bulb somewhere. But there's something else that Paul is referencing here that we're going to look at a little further as we do our study this morning. And he says, do everything without murmurings and disputings. And he begins to speak about how murmuring or disputing begins to dampen the light. It's like a cloud that comes over. We become a little bit like Juno for a little bit. And no longer is the light shining out there brightly. 
and speaking uh, so beautifully about God. And this, this verse that we're still at, as we jump to all these verses, this is the message we have heard from him, from the Lord himself, and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. One more verse, and then we will continue on to the text. 1 Timothy 6 and 16, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, who no man can see, has seen, or can see, to him be honor and dominion. Amen. And here it is that the that Paul just stops as he's writing to Timothy and he says, let's look at who he really is. Who the Lord is. He alone possesses immortality and his light is inapproachable. And no person, no one has seen it or can see it. And he says to him, be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Yesterday, I was in Fry's and I was getting a gallon of milk for Debbie, but I walked past the fruit counter and I looked at the, the fruit and I was kind of hungry and I looked at the, the peaches and they were absolutely amazing. But some of those peaches had amazingly beautiful color. And what determines that color is how that peach is on the tree and the light is touching that peach. It's the same with an apple. The power of light to an apple is keeping that piece of fruit exposed from all angles to the light. And then it will be, you're going to see a red, red, beautiful color. But if there's all kinds of leaves and it's all the way in the interior of the tree, the beauty of that apple will not be there. But there's another part of color. And this is one of the things that light does many things. It matures, light warms, light heals, light illuminates, light colors, light beautifies. And we all know that in different ways. But uh, when you take an apple, an apple is going to be affected by three different things that cause people to buy it. One is going to be the size. The other is going to be the color, and the other is going to be the flavor. Now, there's variety that go with all three of them, but there's one interesting dynamic with that, and that is that light determines color and flavor in an apple that is going to be red. It will not always with the green one or always with the yellow, but it will with one that's red. And when light comes onto that piece of fruit, everything changes. Now, as we, look, as we go further into this passage this morning, it's important that we don't let go of this, this truth of light because we're going to see John writing and speaking about what do we say and what do we do? It's going to be real practical. If we say this and do this, what do we say and what do we do? And he really, really the entire epistle is really making Christianity practical and hands-on in many ways that we can simply touch it and grab it and say, okay, God, I get that. And that applies to me Monday morning when I'm out there where you place me that day. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. 
If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And here John is saying, uh, there is something I'm going to touch you as a church with as I write to you, and that is that your life matches your words. And here he, he just simply says, if we say, but we do not, we walk in darkness and lie and do not the truth. What we say and what we do really matters, and we all know that. We know that. What we say, what we do matters to God, but it also matters to other people because other people, the light they're going to see of Jesus is going to be the light that comes through us. Matter of fact, there's a little poem that says the only gospel that some people will ever see is the gospel according to you. And it is a very, just a fundamental truth, but very, very important that we grab and grasp every day where we're at. And we also recognize this, light is bright or shaded by that which we do and say. And we see it within the text here. If we say we have fellowship with him and still choose to walk in darkness, we say, I'm going to go down the Juno road. We lie and do not the truth. Or we say, okay, I would rather take the dark alley. I'd rather walk at night. He's saying we lie and we don't do the truth. I remember Dev and I were young marrieds and we wanted to take a little trip together and we had a voucher an airline voucher to, that was worth less than $200. But we looked and got online and we checked out where we could go. And we finally found out the place we could go was to Alaska. And so we took our $200 voucher and decided to spend four days in Alaska. We'd never been to Alaska. I'd heard it got dark and light up there, but we were going to go in November. And what I didn't realize, when, and some of you have came from Alaska, is when we got to Alaska, it was just flat dark. You had about two or three hours a day of light, and that's what you could do. We landed in Anchorage, and there it was. We got a little car, and we went down to Seward and Homer, but we could only get to one each day, and we drove in the dark all the way from Anchorage down to Seward just so we could have a little bit of light. Many times Christians are struggling with, with a little tiny bit of light when the Lord says, uh, God is light. Uh, if you'll just let me shine, it will be so magnificent in so many ways. Now here's a verse in John 3 and 19. This is the judgment that light has come into the world. Now this is the judgment. Jesus came. He was the true light that was coming to the world. And men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. And what he's saying is people see the light. They say, no, thanks. I'll choose the darkness, feels better, I'm more comfortable. And so they stumble and they go in a different way and they struggle in their Christian lives. But the word of God just simply says that judgment came in the world through Jesus Christ, but many people look at light and they say, I'd rather not have the light, I'll choose the darkness. And that's many times why we do not do what we say. Our life, our, our words do not match our actions. Our actions do not match the words. But notice the next verse because it is so beautiful when you begin to look at the other side of this. I'll read them together, two verses. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But here comes the next verse. 
But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, notice the word if, the privilege of choosing to walk in the light by the power of Jesus. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now let's back up and look at this for just a moment because there's so much here, but, but John begins and he says, but if we choose, say, okay, Lord, my choice is to walk in the light. I'm a Christian. I say I'm a pastor. I live, try to live for Jesus. So Lord, tomorrow I'm going to choose to walk in the light. Now the word of God says something that is really amazing in this. And I, it, it'll take us back to how we introduced uh, ourselves this morning. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. Now he's already in the light. We walk where Jesus walks. We have fellowship one with another. Let's think about that. We have fellowship with Jesus, one with another. You remember the brother that came to me. But let's go a little further. One with another. Does it stop one with another? Or is this where fellowship really begins? We have fellowship one with another, one with another. And fellowship begins to spread both horizontally and vertically as we walk in the light. Now, Fellowship is not just one way. It moves both ways, one with another. We find fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ, and we find it with each other. And this is the beauty of Christian fellowship that John is going to be driving at throughout this epistle. Now, quite a few years later, Deb and I took the children and now we had all the children and we had maybe one of the children married and had one grandchild. We went back to Alaska, but this time we went when there was light. We went right in the middle of the summer, got the biggest motor home we could put our family in and we packed in and we headed up the Delta Junction and over to Fairbanks, for those of you who know the area. And we came back down and we went all the way to Hume, uh, Stewart and Homer and Valdez and, and did the whole thing. But one of the things that happened, I remember that I had forgotten just how light it is, is I was playing a Frisbee with my grandson outside and we were just tossing the Frisbee back and forth. And all of a sudden I thought, wow, this uh, camper park is so quiet. No one is even moving. And then I finally went and looked at a clock and it was 1230 in the morning. But light was still there. Now, the beauty of the Christian's life is, as, as the word of God opens up, is that light is everywhere all the time. Now, this is what God is. He's light, and in him is no darkness at all, and his beauty just illuminates everywhere. And so you could guess, if you've never been there, some of you live there because we've been with some of you who have lived in Alaska, but your choice, go there at the right time. Choose, we'll go there when there's light because we can enjoy so much. But the word of God here is speaking about if we walk in the light, if we choose the light, we will have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Something is happening as we walk in the light. There is a cleansing happening within our soul. 
that we don't even recognize. Now, as we come to Jesus, we give our lives. He cleanses us from sin. We come, we come and we say, Lord, I need you. I believe you're my savior. There's a cleansing. But now we're speaking about a cleansing of sin that builds and deepens fellowship with one another and with the Father. And the word of God says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And we are experiencing this cleansing. We start seeing the atonement, the atoning work of Jesus here, where Jesus, through his work at the cross, keeps cleansing. There is still a cleansing happening every day in the human soul. It isn't for salvation, but it is actually for sanctification. It is actually for that which causes us to be fruitful and glorifying the Lord in amazing ways. But let's look a little further at this verse. If we walk in the light, as he in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Notice how far reaching that cleansing is going. Now, what separates us from fellowship with God? One thing, sin. Sin's like a barrier. It's like a, a stiff arm to God. God, I, I'll be there another day. I've got a, I've got a busy week, or I want to do what I, I want to do. But here the word of God is saying, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. There's something else that we, we witness as the sun comes over. I noticed this in Phoenix. A lot of people don't get this who just drive through Phoenix. You got to really spend time in the desert to see the magnificence of the desert. For many years, I, I worked, I, I ran through Phoenix. I had contracts that took me and I landed in Phoenix, grabbed a car, went up, looked at a railroad site, went back to the airport, flew out of here, and I missed the magnificence of the desert. You start seeing the magnificence of the desert by sunrises and sunsets and flowers that bloom in the most amazing way. Sometimes as you, you will have guests that come here and they'll say, well, what caused you to really, what, why do you like the desert? And I'll just tell them, you got to take time to see it. But when you see it, it is so magnificent. And when we're looking at what we're speaking about this morning, about the light of the Lord, God asks us to take time to get to know him and let the light, his light, begin to shine powerfully within us. And there is this tremendous cleansing that comes. Uh, where Deb and I have lived, you could get up in the morning, you could look off to the, to the western mountains of the white tanks. And when that sun comes up over the peaks, and it hits those western mountains, the way it casts shadows and depth is just so amazing. Light magnifies, beautifies, glorifies. And there's another great truth beyond, it is that light transforms. It doesn't just adjust, it changes everything. You've, you, we've all been to those places. I remember one time, uh, pastoring out in Kansas and I woke up in the middle of the night and I had to use the boys room and I looked and the whole house was dark and I'd never been to this house and it was so pitch dark and I started touching the walls trying to find the room and I finally found the room and I was thanking the Lord but the next morning when all the lights went on there wasn't any play any darkness left I could have got there real easy I didn't have to pat the walls 
but light transforms. It changes everything when the Lord God from heaven makes the difference. And the word of God is simply saying here that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus cleanses. It will not be long until we partake of communion that is representative of the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and how he cleanses from sin. The communion doesn't cleanse from sin, but it points to the great work that we're looking at this morning, that the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. Verse 8, we have another one of the saying and doing. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Here John is speaking about a blindness that can come over our heart that keeps the light from coming in. It's like a spiritual blindness. It might come because uh, we have a, a, a blind spot or we have a weakness. Or there's another way that blindness can come in. It can come in by having spiritual pride that just keeps the light from coming through the door. And the word of God here says, if we say we have no sin... Okay, I'm okay, God. We are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Back to what we, we are looking forward to partaking of this morning. This is a representative of a realization that, Lord, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And as I partake of this, I do this by faith believing that it is your blood that makes me worthy and righteous before you. It is only your blood that makes me, who we should be. But John was speaking about another enemy that can kind of close the door to God, and that is the enemy of, that would say, I don't have sin. How does it come in our lives? It may come through something as easy as we just start looking at other people, and our finger goes out to others, and God stops and says, no, you have to come back to you. The word of God speaks about taking away in Isaiah 50, 58. If you really want to be blessed, take away the pointing of the finger. Because the pointing of the finger will begin to say, I don't have sin. And all of a sudden, I'm closing the door to the work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit. And he's not able. And the word of God says here that we're deceiving ourselves because we need the Lord as much as anyone needs the Lord. It's, uh, pride is a tremendous enemy of the Christian soul. It, is, it has so many parts and pieces to it, but it is such an enemy. And it also hinders ourself from receiving the light of the Lord Jesus from heaven. There's another area when I think of, uh, we say we have no sin, and it's the imaginations of our heart. Uh, just the way the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 10, that Paul came uh, and he wrote that the Spirit of God casts down imaginations, every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. You know, when I was a little guy, uh, we had a, I had a bedroom about 10 by 15, and I would set up all of these uh, baseball players, and I was the pitcher, and I was the best hitter. And we played, and guess what? We always won, and most of the time we won in the bottom of the ninth. And I would be the, the, the end of the pitcher. I would be the pitcher pitching, and I also would be the hitter. And I would get the last home run somewhere in the bottom of the ninth. 
and I was also the fans. <laughs> you know, sometimes that's what imaginations do. It's an amazing thing. You think, no, we get more mature in Christ. We're growing past that. But no, we're not there playing baseball anymore. But maybe we're just playing church. Or we're just playing brother to brother, sister to sister. And we forget that God is the one who is the light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Now, what is beautiful, and I, it is so, it's such a blessed verse in 1 John 1, 9. It is a classical, it is so necessary in our Christian lives to continue to enjoy the privilege of walking in the light. It is that which nourishes us along the way. It gives us strength, and it's, it looks hard often, but when we look back after we've been here, it is so easy. You say God doesn't ask for sacrifices. He doesn't ask for offerings that we cannot perform. What he asks for, we'll find right here. In 1 John 1, 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now let's look at that verse because it is so profound and yet it's so and powerful, yet it's so simple. Notice how John enters into this, if we confess. It's, it's like if we'll take the road, if we'll make the choice, if we'll make the decision, if we confess. Oftentimes the battle in sin is the battle of just confessing. Once a confession is made, there becomes a freedom that is amazing. You realize no matter whether it is to the Lord, God wants first. Let's look at this together because it, sometimes we say, well, I'll go confess to my brother, but there's someone to go to confess to first. It says, if we confess our sins, he, the Lord, he is faithful. He's listening. He's waiting for the response of our, of our, our lips, our heart. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice this verse is saying several things. One thing is you got a condition. You don't have to confess. You can say, I don't have no sin. But the word of God says when we do that, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth isn't in us. But it, does, but it goes on and says, but if we confess, if we move through that door, God is faithful. Stand in that. God hears, God answers, God forgives. He is a sin-forgiving God. He is a prayer-hearing God. He is a people-loving God. There is no sin that will ever go before God that will ever knock God off of his feet. He already knew. Sometimes someone has came to me and they said, as I tell you this, it's going to wipe you out. I said, I don't know. Because God had, had to see different things. But Nothing overwhelms God. Notice what he's saying here. He, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. What he's asking for as a child of God is confession of the sin. Lord, I sinned. It, they may be the most beautiful words that can ever be spoken by the human heart. It may never be said by words. I think of the two men that went to the temple to pray, and the one was a Pharisee, the other the publican. And the word of God says the Pharisee prayed with himself that time. But the publican, just he, the word of God says, 
he couldn't as much as lift up his eyes to heaven. But he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I've sinned, Lord. That's all he asked. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous. And notice what he does. God's faithful, his righteousness is right there to forgive us our sins. You're forgiven. Sometimes we've, have we ever gotten in this thing, we, I've confessed and Lord, I want to confess one more time and one more time. And one time a brother rebuked me there. He says, brother, you might just be affronting the very forgiveness of God because he forgave you by John 1, 9. He's already forgiven you. But we, notice what he says, just to forgive us our sins. And then notice what he says, and to cleanse us. God does the, the, the cleansing the light comes back in, the sin goes away, the healing comes, and notice how great it is. It says he's able, he's, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is a great privilege with great power when it's exercised. It is one of the great privileges of the Christian's life. It doesn't need to be some great big place we we don't need to build the sacrifice anymore because the word of God says that it's a sacrifice of God or a broken heart and a broken and a contrite spirit. God will never turn away. He will always hear. And what I want to do is I want to just for a couple of minutes here enter in and just enter into the, the, the word of God in Psalm 51 verses 1. And I want to just look at David's confession of sin when he had committed the sin of Bathsheba and he was so broken, but I want us to notice how the confession unfolded. Because oftentimes we say, Lord, I, I'm here, but I don't know what to do. Notice this where David goes with me. First off, he says, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. You see, just like John has said, Lord, I'm going to you and I'm seeing you as a loving, kind God. I'm seeing you as a forgiving God. It is your loving kindness that brings me to you. And I say, have mercy to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. And David here is saying, God, you are a compassionate God. I'm going to you, trusting you that you can forgive the sin. You see, there is no sin that God can forgive. That's who we are. We've came here and God has forgiven within this church thousands and thousands and thousands of sins. But there's one great truth is we are a sinner who needs a savior. And we sin because we were even born in sin, as David says. But notice this, according to the greatness of your compassion, David says, blot out my transgression. I don't want it anymore. It doesn't say just... Do a little forgiveness and bring it back up again. No, take it away, God. You see, God removes sin as far as the east is from the west. He takes that sin and he throws it. And if you take, you head east, you'll never turn back west. You'll just keep going east and east and east. And God removes sin when we come to him and ask him to forgive. But let's follow this a little further. Wash me thoroughly and here we're, we're seeing this blood sacrifice that yet David was speaking of, but yet it was not realized at Calvary. But wash me thoroughly from my iniquity 
and cleanse me from my sin. David is taking ownership of his sin. He's asking God, God, wash me, but it's my sin. I'm coming to you with my sin, not my brothers, not my sisters, not their sin, my sin. I don't know how many times God takes you around this barn, but he does me. So I will share this, that all of a sudden, you know, something out here is really bugging you, maybe in the job or maybe in your, your neighborhood or whatever. And pretty soon God comes back and says, how about you? And this is where David got. He got to the place that he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Lord, I'm going to take ownership. I'm a sinner. Sometimes it wasn't the action, it was the thought. Or it was the attitude. Or it was, it was the inner pride of the spirit that we were nurturing. We did not realize it. But notice as, as David says, as Lord, I want to take ownership and I want thorough washing for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. And what David's saying is, I'm a guilty guy and sin creates guilt. One of the byproducts of sin is guilt. It comes in so many ways. We just don't feel right. It's God knocking at the door saying, confess. Just confess the sin. For I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Notice something else. David says, I take ownership of my sin, but God, you know, I really hurt. I hurt you. You see, some sin has a way of hurting so many people it, in families and churches and our society. It doesn't matter, but we're really first hurting God because God is holy. He is light. In him is no darkness at all. And it's like we have just stabbed God. And we said, God, and here he says, my sin is ever before me and I have sinned against you and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge whatever you say about me, God. What David is really saying is, Lord, really I deserve to go to hell. I deserve hell. But I'm coming to you asking you to forgive me. And God was going to take his forgiving power and pour into this king and he would use him mightily the rest of his life in spite of what he has done. And this is what God does. He doesn't use us because of who we are and what we have done. He uses us in spite of what we have done. And his power begins to work in the most amazing ways. And we experience this in, in so many ways. And then in verse 10 of the same Psalm, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. And David is simply saying, Lord, I want a pure heart. I want a clean heart. Something has convicted me that my heart wasn't clean. And that's what sin does. Darkness comes over the human heart, the soul, the inner part of us. And there's no longer brightness of light. And David comes to this point, create in me a clean heart and renew a what right spirit within me. One more verse, verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His not, word is not in us. It's another one of those if we say. It's very similar. It's parallel to verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And here, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Our Lord, the liar, 
and the word is not in us. And you know, probably there are many, many, like we, like we were saying, one of the great utterances of humankind is simply, I have sinned. I've just sinned. But Lord, I've sinned before you. And not only have I sinned before you, O oh Lord, but I've heard others. And David is simply saying, God, I'm coming to you, asking you to cleanse me from my sin. You know, it's, it's two, there's two choices that are before us every single day in our Christian life. We can come to the place and say, Lord, I have not sinned. Or we can say, Lord, I've sinned. I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. And this is a privilege to choose. And what we've been looking at as we choose the path of, Lord, I need your forgiveness, what we're doing is we're choosing light. We're choosing fellowship. We're choosing forgiveness. We're choosing a path of blessing that, that John is writing about, that we can have fellowship one with another and with, with each other because we find the Lord as we choose him. There's a sense of omission. There's this, the ones we just forget. We all have blind spots. We have those areas that we just didn't know. It might even take a brother coming to us and sharing. We also have the sins of commission. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it. I, I, I'm going to do it. And, and, and we do it. And we pay the price. Uh, we, have, we have these areas that can, can happen so easily. But I wanted to leave us this morning with the story of a man who ran away from home a long time ago that Jesus spoke about. When he came to his father and he says, I want my inheritance and he got his inheritance, and the word of God says he took off, and he went way down into a far country, and there it was, he wasted everything he had. And that is exactly what sin does. It wastes everything. It wastes us on the inside, it wastes us on the outside. It just depletes us of all resources. But the word of God says when he got down there, and he was actually eating with the very pigs, he just said, hold it. Wow. Dad's house is a whole lot better than this. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to my father. And I'm going to tell him I have sinned in his sight. I'm going back to light. You see what had happened? He got down in darkness. He was going back to light. He goes, I'm going to go back where there's light, where the light of the Lord is shining. And he begins to go. But you know, one of the beauties is this man, I have no idea how long it would take him to get back to his father's house. But the word of God says when he was yet a long ways away, his father saw him coming toward him and he began to run toward him. You know, this is who God is as a forgiving God. He comes running. He runs to us. He, he runs to us as we turn toward him. He comes back toward us just desiring to come and enter in to fellowship with us and communion. And he, he comes along and the father comes and he falls on his neck. He kisses him. And then the young man says, dad, I sinned. And I'm not even worthy to be, called, be, a, be, a, be your child. Just make me one of your servants. And the Lord says, no, hold it. Put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. Kill the fatted calf. 
My son who was dead is alive again, who was lost is found. And God, the pursuing God, reached out and said, this is who I am. I'm a forgiving and a restoring and a cleansing and healing God. And I love to bring you back into a place of fellowship and joy and light where there's no darkness at all. This is who he is. And he does it in so many ways. And he speaks to all of us here. And he gives us this beautiful promise that uh, you can choose just like the prodigal, Lord, I'm coming back. And today we have the privilege, we enter into a, a time of communion and we are going to enter into a time of communion with the Lord, but it's also a time probably for every communicant here, you may have tasted the word, you may have experienced salvation, but it is a time to come back and say, Lord, I'm coming back as I partake. I will partake of something so simple to teach me something so spiritual that I need you, Jesus. And as I touch this today and hold it in my hands, Lord, I'm coming back to you. It doesn't matter where I got. I may never got to the pig pen. I may have just got like I did as a little guy playing the game, but I'm going to come back. And I want to be your child. And I want there to be light in which there is no darkness at all surrounding me in every way. And this is the privilege as we enter this. And you know, one more thing I want to give you before uh, we have prayer, and that is that there's no one here today that's worthy to partake of this except through Jesus Christ. No one. We're not good enough. We're not holy enough. We come short of his glory in too many ways. But as we partake today, it is only that we are able through his ability and his cleansing healing power to make us and restore us, to make us right. It was David in the Psalms that said, Lord, you restore my soul. And here it is today as we enter into this time together of communion that we seek God to enter into your light in which is no darkness at all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word your promises. Thank you, Father, that you're not far from any one of us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you can, you can turn darkness into light so amazingly. You can give us hopelessness into joy and fulfillment and salvation and a, and a clear outlook in life in the most amazing ways. Lord Jesus, have your way in this meeting, in this service, and even as we enter into this communion is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.